1: This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi on your radio
2: and in the game right here on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: What a Friday. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming online with you at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. You can find them online at mslandbank.com. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help if you are in North Mississippi. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Later this afternoon, we will give away a pair of tickets. Courtesy of Mississippi Land Bank to the Ole Miss Vanderbilt football game uh, tomorrow night in Oxford. Major League Baseball is going on right now. The Houston Astros lead the Tampa Bay Rays four to nothing. So Houston trying to jump out to a uh, one game to none series lead over the uh, over the Rays. They are through five innings in Houston. Again, it's Houston leading four to nothing. About half an hour away from first pitch. For St. Louis and Atlanta. St. Louis leading that series one game to none after their win yesterday. Yankees and Twins will play game number one, 607 tonight. Games on MLB Network and 837 uh, tonight on TBS. Game two between the Washington Nationals and the Dodgers. Dodgers won last night. Big night, big game for uh, Max Muncie for the uh, Dodgers to take a one games to none lead in the series. Um, We were scheduled to visit with Bruce Marshall right out of the gate today, having some trouble catching up with him, and so that may not happen, uh, may not be able to uh, catch up with him. But we are certainly not short on things to do and things to talk about. Um, I suppose if you've been living in a cave for the last 24 hours, then potentially you are not aware of the fact that the IHL board yesterday uh, made the announcement that uh, Glenn Boyce was being... Uh, appointed as the 17th chancellor of the University of Mississippi. They also said that there would be a 12 noon press conference today in which he would be introduced. The, the, the press conference kind of happened, but not really. Uh, a few hundred people gathered in the ballroom of the Inn at Ole Miss. Uh, it was a mix of search committee members, college board members, uh, interested parties, media, and protesters, which I guess would also be considered interesting parties, or interested parties. The press conference was scheduled to begin at noon. At about 12.05 or so, uh, Ford Dye, Dr. Ford Dye, who is was the president or the leader of the search committee, uh, came out and tried to kind of bring order to the room Uh, At that point, the protesters got a little loud and a little rowdy, and there was a little back and forth, and he was asking them to please be quiet, uh, made the observation that if they could not observe uh, some sense of decorum to allow the press conference and the announcement to go forward, they would be removed. Uh, That got the reaction that you would expect. Um, At that point, he signaled to the University of Mississippi police chief To try and quiet the people down Uh, There was a little bit of Back and forth there There were two protesters that I counted uh, That were forcibly removed The first one not really forcibly The second one uh, she tried to kind of pull away Uh, She was picked up And carried out of the room And in the process knocked over the University of Mississippi backdrop Uh, That's what the uh, cameras were supposed to pick up While shooting the press conference Needless to say well, not needless to say. So they left the stage area and about 15 minutes or so later returned. And the university police chief stepped to the podium, stepped to the microphone, and said that due to um, disruptions, and I don't know if he said safety concerns or not, that the uh, press conference would not happen. He thanked the people for coming. And then dismiss the people About half an hour ago There was a conference call That followed a press release From the IHL board Saying that Glenn Boyce had indeed been hired To be the next chancellor And then he spent, uh, I don't know Close to half an hour answering questions On a conference call from members of the media Was
4: it not that long? 20 minutes or, or so? It was about 20 minutes, and very few questions were actually answered. It was a farce.
3: You listened in, Rippy, to the uh, the entire conference call. I only kind of came in for the uh,
4: the last little bit of it. What was the gist of what was said during the conference call? That there's no spinning this. I mean, they were asked if all eight candidates were interviewed, and they said no comment. It was a confidential process. We didn't release the candidate list, so, you know, tinfoil hat off. There you go. Glenn Boyce was asked if he will return the consultation fee because he was, again, paid $87,000 to consult the search before being hired himself. And he initially said, no, I don't think uh, I don't think I have any reason to. Then he was pressed again on it and said, well, you've given me something to think about, even though I don't think anything was unethical about it. So, very decisive. Uh, there was a question about
3: whether or not he was hiring Chip Pickering, as had been widely reported, and his response was.
4: This is an exact quote. I'm not sure I can even comment on that. It's a rumor. I guess that answers the question. I wonder what question he thinks that answered. It, 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 it's I, all right. I think they just think everyone's dumb. Well, let,
3: let's go high level thoughts. I'll maybe let that be your high level thought just for a second. Um, Borky, say what? Um, I was Bruce is calling us. Uh, I don't know that we've got time to uh, squeeze in picks at this point. And, uh may have to uh, catch up with him next week. I'll text him here in a little bit.
1: Uh, but kind of, uh, high kind level. of a high-level thought from you, Borky. Um, it's it's a shame, really. Uh, because, as Rippy just mentioned and highlighted, and that's not the only quote from the phone call to announce this decision, that was... Um, well, I mean, an outright lie. It's, it's like they're talking to everyone as if... Everybody that is affected by this in one way or another, whether it be good or bad, the students, the faculty, it, it, they're talking to you as if you are stupid. I don't know if they expect you to buy stuff like that and, and buy that this process was real and buy that he had no interest in it going into it. But even though I like to make fun of the general public sometimes, people are not stupid. And this entire thing is a farce. And no matter how poorly you answer questions via telephone call, uh, they're not changing their mind. They know exactly what happened. Everybody knows what happened. And they still somehow can get on the phone because they're too afraid to uh, speak in front of a group of loud college students. They get on the phone and continue to spin and lie. It just sh- it's a microcosm of the entire process, which uh, from the genesis was a complete sham. And today it played out in front of your face.
4: Yeah, you nailed it. And then I think the, the the scene in the ballroom today was indicative of a process that wasn't actually a process and people were justifiably upset. But to your point, a part of the anger is the just kind of audacity to carry out the plan with the rumor like the, that had been rumored all along. It is basically just an insult, insult to everyone else's intelligence. I mean, they either don't care about the backlash or... Or they think that people are not smart enough to believe that this was a a complete crock. That is—that's literally one of two options here. I don't see how it could be anything else. I mean, read the quotes from this. I'll put the—can we put the call up on Supertalk.fm? I have it recorded.
3: I don't see any reason why we can't.
4: I'll put that on Supertalk.fm. You can listen for yourself. I'm not trying to speak for anybody else, but that's what they're saying. That's what they're telling you. They use the word process. 100 times, which is just dripping in irony because there was no process. I've never really seen anything like that today. Granted, I'm only 24. There have been people around this university a lot longer than I have. But it was remarkable. I mean, normally, I appreciate people's right to protest, but I think a lot of the stuff, sometimes with regards to campus life that some people protest, I think maybe sometimes it can get a bit dramatic and maybe be more about the theater, but I think today was 100% justified. I completely understand why people are angry. When we come back in a minute I sat up late last night
3: and I made a couple of pages of notes just notes about Dr. Glenn Boyce notes about the process notes about the stakeholders questions that people seem to have and I want to kind of walk through some of those when we come back But before we do that Hey, Dad, you're part of this as well. I mean, you live in the state of Mississippi. You've watched a a president search at Mississippi State that uh, went off with very little fanfare when Mark Keenum was named president a few years ago. I I am legitimately curious. I know you watched at least part of the attempted press conference today. Your, Your reaction from an
2: entirely different perspective than that of ours. Just, just, as a big picture thing, it, it, the IHL is just an anachronism at this point. It, it, it's something that was put in place and and doesn't really have a place anymore. And, and we really need, in my opinion, to get back to let colleges run their own business. It doesn't need to be uh, Mississippi State does not need to be involved in Ole Miss business. Ole Miss doesn't need to be involved in Mississippi State business. Let the colleges run their own businesses and make their own decisions. And I think I think that's something that's a starting point to avoid things like what happened today. I, yep. I, I agree pretty much with
3: everything you said. I think there's an argument that could be made that you could have a board that could oversee Old Miss, Mississippi State, and maybe even Southern Miss, and then a separate board that oversees the other universities because you're talking about like-minded entities. Maybe. I'm not sure that's the best plan, though. More coming up. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi. C Spire text line is open. The number is 601-879-4395. One of the best new phones is here in C Spire, celebrating with a fully loaded deal. Buy the latest phone and get another one free, plus $100 off the newest wearable technology. Learn more at cspire.com. C Spire, customer inspired. Again, 601-879-4395. Um, let me just walk through some stuff. I, I, I told you if you were with us a few minutes ago. I, I made some notes last night. I've added to it a little bit throughout the course of the day today, and we'll just kind of walk through some of this stuff and uh, and talk about it. You can send us a tweet at Sports Talk M I S S as well if that's your preferred um, method of communication. Um, Glenn Boyce was named the 17th chancellor at Ole Miss. He spent nine years as president of Holmes Community College in Goodman. He served as associate commissioner of academic affairs for the IHL. He spent a period of about four years as commissioner of higher education at the IHL, so commissioner of higher ed for the state of Mississippi. He is, or has been, a trustee for SACS, which is the regional accreditation, uh, accreditation body for higher ed in the southern states. He became the IHL commissioner after Dr. Jim Borsig's resignation following the Dan Jones saga. You remember that, Dan Jones before, Jeffrey Vitter as chancellor, and you had all the weirdness that was related to that. Jim Borsig resigned as commissioner and at that point uh, Glenn Boyce was named the IHL commissioner. More recently, since stepping down from his role as IHL commissioner, Glenn Boyce was appointed by the IHL but paid by the University of Mississippi Foundation and there's a difference between the University Foundation and the Ole Miss Athletics Foundation. So this is the foundation on the academic side of things I've been told a fee of $100,000. He estimated on the uh, press conference call this afternoon that he had been paid somewhere in the high 80000 Said
4: he uh, they
3: didn't know an exact figure, then said $87,000. I, I do know from a, uh, a foundation source that they approved a $100,000 payment to him to be a consultant. The responsibility that he had as a consultant was to interview stakeholders and potential candidates about the chancellor position. He was supposed to talk to people in Oxford, Ole Miss alums, state leaders, business people, and potential candidates. And I guess he did that over about a nine-month period. And again, was reportedly paid in the neighborhood of $100,000 to... um, fulfill those duties. We got reports last night that one of, if not the first hires that Glenn Boyce would make as chancellor was of Chip Pickering, former United States representative from Mississippi, to an executive-level position, likely a vice chancellor position, where his focus would be on fundraising, communications, relationship-building, etc. Glenn Boyce was asked about that on the call, and again, the direct quote was...
4: I don't think I can comment on that. That's a rumor. I guess that answers the question.
3: Clearly, it answers the question. All right, so what are the concerns here? I want to I underscore, underline, highlight, bold print this. Glenn Boyce has an impressive resume and is fairly accomplished in the state of Mississippi in the area of higher education. He has not been a president at a four-year university. He has been a president at a junior college, Holmes Community College, and has served in the capacities that we talked about a second ago with the IHL. And so in terms of being able to navigate his way through the political spectrum, work with the IHL, I mean, good grief, he was the hand-picked choice of the IHL. He should be able to handle that. And he's got a record of success in working with universities to try and move them forward through student growth, student achievement, et cetera. But again, he has not been a president of a four-year university. Whatever his accomplishments are, though, are overshadowed by the process or lack thereof. We said a second ago there was no process. There was a process on paper. I just don't know how anybody believes that it was a process that was intended to deliver the results that we were all led to believe it was intended to
4: deliver.
1: He was a participant in slightly. the process. So even though... Just, go ahead, Rick.
4: No, no, go ahead, Borky. Go ahead. I'll just had a quick thing. Go ahead. Uh,
1: even though uh, he may have a resume that is uh, maybe qualified for the position, he was still complicit in the process. The air quotes process. So even uh, without all of that happening, there's still a level of taint to it, even when it comes to that, because you know you're supposed to be a leader of of a major public university the largest one in the state and yet you were a part of the corrupt process that led you to that position it's not Ruby. like this group of people acted and got him there without him knowing about it
4: Webster's defines a process as a series of action or steps taken to achieve a particular end. So they put a process on paper, as you said, and then completely deviated from it halfway through. And it sounds like went through an own, their own process that they had had cooking for a while that they probably didn't make, divulge publicly. Make so it looks like they teetered from one process to another to achieve a goal that they likely, if anyone really wants to differ here, probably had all along. So I don't know if you can really call it, maybe it was a process, but it was a very unsound one, or maybe they teetered between two processes, but either way it created mass chaos as the result.
3: One of the things that's important to know, the IHL has autonomy, and they have the ability to put a process in place but give themselves an out to change that process, to add candidates, to subtract candidates at their discretion. And clearly they used that autonomy. I have independently confirmed. I know there have been other news reports of this, and, and I appreciate all the reporting that's been done, but I've confirmed this on my own. And, and so I feel certainly comfortable saying it. Interviews took place in Jackson on Wednesday and Thursday. Those interviews, I know for a fact, five of them happened. One was, well, I know that six of them happened. One was with Cal Mayo, who is an attorney in Oxford. One was with Fred Slabach, who is the sitting president at Texas Wesleyan University. One was with Michael Benson, who is the sitting president at Eastern Kentucky University. One was with Bill Hardgrave, who is the provost, which is the chief academic officer at Auburn. He was formerly head of the Walton School of Business at the University of Arkansas and over the Auburn Business School. I forget who it's named after. Uh, that has been wildly successful in the time that he was overseeing that school. I've also confirmed that they interviewed Jim Barksdale. I believe that that happened in executive session as opposed to in more of an open session where there were some extra people beyond board members uh, that were uh, there. I also believe that there was one more person who was interviewed, but I have not been able to confirm with a second person that that actually happened, and it's someone that's in state government. And then, obviously, Glenn Boyce was interviewed as part of executive session after the other interviews were completed. I believe it was after Bill Hardgrave's interview was completed. I think he was the final scheduled interview. The board reached out to Glenn Boyce, asked him to come in and interview. The interview went so shockingly well that within the hour, the IHL made a motion and I have been told voted unanimously, I do not know that for a fact, to offer the position to Glenn Boyce as Chancellor at the uh, at the university. Um, just a a side note here. Bill Hardgrave and Michael Benson and Fred Slabock and the other Cal Mayo that were interviewed for this likely spent a lot of time preparing for their interviews because it was potentially the biggest job that any of them had ever had in their lives. It's just interesting to me that someone who was not prepared to interview for the position, allegedly, would come in, would go through this, air quotes, grilling from the IHL, and would be so significantly better than all of the other candidates who were interviewed that it made sense to almost immediately make a motion to hire him. And what we've talked about for months is one of the most significant hires that was, ha, has ever been made.
4: To underscore your point, he was asked about why he wasn't initially interested and went on a very long, rambling answer about. Uh, How much the university meant to him. And the reporter followed up with, So, why again were you uninterested originally? Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk
3: Mississippi with you. Ceasefire text line is open 601 879 4395. Glad to have you along. Obviously, a um, big news day in Oxford today as they attempted to have a press conference to introduce Dr. Glenn Boyce as the new chancellor. Of the University of Mississippi That press conference was derailed by protesters And they cancelled it And ultimately sent out a release The IHL did Saying that Glenn Boyce had indeed been appointed to that position I was on JT's show And I told JT that I had had uh, What I believe to be a credible source uh, Tell me that uh, Glenn Boyce was waffling On whether or not he was going to Ultimately take the position or not And it was not somebody that was tied directly to the search, but it was somebody who would have been in the know of that. Obviously, they got past whatever cold feet or discomfort was there and went ahead and made the decision and went through with the uh, press conference. I was talking about, a moment ago, candidates that were interviewed, and I named off five and told you that I knew of one other but had not been able to independently confirm or secondarily confirm it. Cal Mayo was interviewed, Fred Slaybach from te- Texas Wesleyan, Michael Benson from Eastern Kentucky, Bill Hardgrave from Auburn, Jim's, Jim Barksdale, former uh, chief executive of Netscape, and uh, a large donor to the university through the years. Uh, I have also been able to confirm that Congressman Greg Harper was interviewed yesterday. Uh, if you read some of the reporting that was out there on Sunday, uh, it was Intimated that no politicians had been interviewed or were going to be interviewed for the process, Uh, but ultimately Greg Harper was interviewed um, as part of this process yesterday as well. So that's another name you can put there.
4: A lot of qualified Um,
1: people and a handful of names that would not have received this um, reception. Today.
3: That's an interesting point, Borky. Somebody told me, said, well, you were going to have protests regardless of who they hired. I don't believe that was going to be the case.
4: Oh, I think. There might have been some. some, There's always going to be someone, in my opinion, but it wouldn't have been the environment. You could, I mean, you were in there today. You could sense the unrest and and anger by, like, everyone that was in that room that. Was involved with Ole Miss. It was both sides. Like, you really have to have a pretty bad mess up where the left and right wing of the school were both in lockstep as to how angry they are about the same thing. It has to be a colossal failure, which is exactly what this was. Um, and I would like to add that none of those other candidates, I don't think they received 87 grand.
3: No, they did not. Okay. Um, what do you think about
1: how that press conference shook out? Um, the well, the, the protest uh, that, and all of that? That's a good question.
3: Stuff. Borky, that's a good question because I asked someone that I was standing next to today during that press conference, did they not anticipate that this was going to happen? Because it's, it's hard for me to understand how deeply you would have to have your head buried in the sand to have not seen this coming. I joked with you, Borky, earlier today. We were talking, I don't know, an hour or so ago. And I said that I was going to make myself available. I was, I was going to embark on a career change <laughs> and make myself available with a salary of in the neighborhood of $375,000 a year. Just kind of pulling that number out of thin air to be a communications specialist slash hand raise guy and make myself available to the university on the academic side, the athletic side, and maybe do a little freelance work with the IHL as well. Because the level of denseness that exists that did not allow them to see coming what happened today is mind-boggling. Well, and then the handling of it is awful too,
1: right? Maybe maybe you guys will disagree with this, but uh, when you decide to do this open room and have this introductory press conference a day after it was revealed that this was a sham process, When you have the protesters in the room and they're acting as they described it as loud and unruly or whatever, when they're trying to be loud and disrupt the process, running and cowering in fear and doing it on the phone only encourages that kind of behavior because you're telling them that that works. What they should have done, in my opinion, is stand up there and talk to them, even if they don't listen to you. Be the big person in the room, be the man in the room, be the leader in the room and face the people that don't like you and tell them why it's going to be okay, even if they don't hear you. But standing up there and speaking to them today, I think would have been a powerful leadership moment. And instead, you run and cower in fear and do it on the phone. And now, anytime the students have something that they don't like. They know that what they can do will work because you'll run and cower in fear. They should have stood yeah. up there and talked to them today. And, and you may disagree, and, and I, I, I would certainly not argue with you on it because it's, it's an opinion. But if they would have stood up there and talked to them today, even if they're shouting over them, you discourage that kind of stuff because it doesn't work. But instead, today it worked. And you oh, ran and it- cowered in fear instead of led. Leading would have I, been talking to them today.
3: That was an untenable environment to continue with what they were trying to
1: do. And I wasn't well, there, so I don't have that per- perspective like you guys do.
4: To add to Borky's point, like also, the not the, this is abundantly clear that they do not care about optics at all at this point, but you orchestrated a sham of a process that was not transparent at all after a disastrous chance or higher, where transparency was said to be the number one priority with the listening sessions and all of that, where we got to talk about AOC wannabes and global warming, have seemed very productive.
3: Among other things, among a very calculated um, statement that was made by an Oxford resident, Campbell McCool, who talked specifically about The rumors of...
4: It appears prophetic now.
3: It really does. You can go back and watch that if you want to. But to
4: to your point, then to run and cower and do this over the phone and announce him officially via an email only adds another level of opaqueness to an already abundantly murky and corrupt process.
3: Um, There was a simple solution to this. You have a closed event in which you allow the media to attend, to ask questions cameras in there, you stream it live, and if you want to invite a few donors or university personnel, you can. You just don't make it a public event, and you avoid the entire fiasco they had today. That's It's not difficult. But that would require a hand-raised guy. So, we're talking about optics. This is out there. Hey, Dad, I know you've seen it. The Chancellor now of the University of Mississippi has a very prominent picture in which he is standing on stage speaking at a Mississippi State commencement, ringing a cowbell high above his head with Mark Keenum, the president of Mississippi State, standing just to
4: his left. Yeah. That not doesn't great. do anything for you? No, I mean, he's speaking at state commencement. Like, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Like, you know.
2: I think
3: it's an optics
2: issue, though.
4: Oh, yeah, but it, I don't. I'm not saying there's, that there's that a large portion wrong portion or that you did anything wrong, but it's an optics issue. Will.
2: There's a large portion of the Ole Miss fan base that that's sort of an unforgivable
4: sin. I guess so, but and I don't disagree that it's not like that it's optically bad. But at this point, like, it's become abundantly clear that they do not care about optics.
3: F- final thought from kind of the notes that I've made, and I added this today, and it's after some conversations that I've had. The 39 member search committee that has been talked so much about was never going to be effective. However, you embarked on that process, and you asked 39 people, some who are young and employed, some who are old and retired, some who have full-time jobs in public positions, some who are faculty members at the university, you asked 39 people to be a part of a process. And you asked a pretty significant time commitment of them to be away from their businesses or their families to go through all of the resumes that came in from potential chancellor candidates, to grade those resumes, to turn them in. And then from that list, they narrowed down to what was eight potential candidates and then ultimately, you know, a little convoluted on the interview process and completely ignored all of the work that was done. There are some whatever you think about that committee of 39 people, that's fine. But those people agreed to serve and kind of give of their time and I think it's a pretty big slap in the face to that group of people who you asked to be a part of the process and you though lots of us looked at it and thought that particular part of the process was a charade the IHL made us believe that that was important as part of the process. And you completely ignored everything that they were involved with. Some of the people who were on that committee were interviewed as stakeholders by Dr. Boyce as part of his process. And I've had multiple people, multiple people who were part of those interviews say to me, it was abundantly clear as Glenn Boyce was going through this process, that he wanted the job. And multiple people who asked him specifically, you want this job, don't you? And he repeatedly denied it. I do know of one person that he talked with where they talked openly about what it would be like if he was named Chancellor. So the idea that came through on this conference call earlier today that Glenn Boyce had no thought of becoming the chancellor until the IHL just magically called him up and asked him to interview yesterday, that falls into the don't pee on my head and try to convince me it's raining line of thinking. Just stop lying. Stop lying. Tell the truth. Thanks, I got Sports you. Talk Mississippi with you. Friday afternoon. Yes, I know the name of the show is Sports Talk Mississippi. And yes, I know stick to sports guy. You're frustrated right now. Sorry. Deal with it. We'll get around to some college football stuff this afternoon. We're going to get to some high school football coming up a little bit later as well. So if you want to hang with us, you are welcome to. Shetty sends us a message. He says, I'm listening on headphones, and Richard Cross just made me jump like when I was a young kid messing around with Dad's tools, and he walked in and yelled out. Sorry.
1: <laughs> Here's a question for you. As I feel like we're kind of wrapping up this conversation, but at this point, I don't think there's anything anybody can do about it, right? I mean, unless some kind of outside force acts, he will be the chancellor. But Ole Miss is more unified today as a people since <laughs> what? The Sugar Bowl? Uh, maybe even before that, how do you govern in this kind of atmosphere when every stakeholder involved outside of the IHL and its actors believe that you are there by nefarious purposes and do not want you to be there? How do you run the university?
4: You don't.
3: Well, it's difficult. I, I used the analogy earlier today that it's like a baseball player who starts the season four for 77 and digs themselves into a hole that just getting to a 200 batting average, getting to the Mendoza line is an unbelievable accomplishment. It feels to me like regardless of what Glenn Boyce does or doesn't do as Chancellor, he is starting out in a hole that is almost impossible to climb out of. I would like to rewind to kind of where we started on this. The, the problem that I see with Glenn Boyce being the chancellor has nothing to do with his credentials or his qualifications. No, he has not been a sitting president at a four-year university. But I think he's pretty qualified to fill a chancellor position. But how do you get past the idea of, hey, we're hiring you on a consulting basis after you have retired to go help us identify the best candidate. And then ultimately you hire the guy that you wanted to go do the interview.
4: How, how do you get past that? I, I don't know. It's like an eighty-seven grand signing bonus. <laughs> Some seniors in the college baseball draft or MLB draft would be envious of that. Some high-leverage stuff. And, and so,
3: Borky, to your question of how do you govern, Rippey said you don't. I just think it's extremely difficult, and. Glenn Boyce is going to have to make a decision about athletics director in the not too terribly distant future. He's going to have decisions that have to be made in other sports in maybe the not too distant future. Those will be under an even larger microscope than they would have been otherwise. And he's got some pretty serious issues to tackle declining enrollment, under-recruited in-state students, and that supposedly is kind of his specialty. Ultimately, this thing, this whole thing, process, whatever you want to call it, looks to me like the IHL chose to hire someone That they would believe that they believe would do things the way they wanted them done.
4: Look at the Trent Lott quote in the Clarion Ledger. I couldn't believe that was real. Trent
3: Lott used the phrase, he seems like a good old boy to me. It's beyond parody. And so to begin to dig himself out of this starting block hole. That for Glenn Boyce to dig himself out of this hole at the beginning of his tenure he has got to go on a heater like has maybe never been seen by a university president he needs win after win after win after win after win he needs people to believe in him and start donating money he needs to unite the fan base through whatever decisions he makes with the athletics department He needs the football team to win on its own. He needs people to feel good and like they're included. He needs enrollment to immediately begin to go up. And that's not something that happens immediately. All of those things have to happen, and they have to happen in abundance and for a long period of time for him to just kind of get back to square one. And that is an incredibly difficult process. We'll turn the page to some sports. We'll talk some college football and some high school football when we come back with you in the 4 o'clock hour in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. 4 o'clock hour. Let's switch gears for a little while. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Shows brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, whether it's buying equipment, buying a piece of property, getting a production loan, or uh, maybe it's refinancing an is- existing loan, and you're in North Mississippi, whether you're a farmer or not, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years. Check them out online, mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank where they know the lay of the land. Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Luke Johnson joins us right now, covers uh, Southern Miss. He is co-host of the Eagle Hour podcast on Super Talk Hattiesburg and Super Talk Laurel. Open date for the uh, Golden Eagles and then a big one coming up next Saturday night. A couple
5: of days off for the
3: uh, football team, end of this week, Luke
5: had not been much news out, guys. Really, wasn't a press conference uh, or any quotes from the website. Just about getting healthy this week. Um, there's a chance, good chance, Trubinsky Mosley will be back next week. Uh, hopefully, get Raheem Booth back. Coker Wright won't be back, but it's really been silent, man. To be honest, we've uh, we've just kind of dug through uh, some guest archives at the Eagle Hour, called some people up from different stuff, but it's been a pretty pretty silent week out of Hattiesburg.
3: Um. Next week will not be nearly as quiet as they get ready for uh for North Texas. I mean, sitting where the Golden Eagles are right now at three or three and two, it's not make or break for the season, but it does feel like it's going to be a really big game.
5: It's a big game simply because uh who they are and what they've done at the Golden Eagles the last few years. Um, went back after our Tuesday conversation and just tried to Dig in a little more. Um, what's going on with North Texas? You remember, Graham Harrell has been their offensive coordinator, and he's out uh, in Southern Cal with the Trojans. And so they brought in uh, a, a new OC named Bodie Reader. He was out of uh, Eastern Washington the last two years. They were averaging 43 points a game. You thought it would kind of be the same type of offense uh, that they had been running. They are second in Conference USA with 33 points a game, and but Mason Fine's fifth. He's only averaging. 258 uh, a game in the passing. Um, they, they lost a big receiver in, in week three, uh, so I know anybody concerned about Southern Miss's pass defense. That, that's kind of a uh, that is kind of a good thing that they won't be with. They'll be without their best receiver. Uh, at the same time, you uh, you just gotta you just gotta get it done. I mean, you, you're you lost two years in a row to this team. And you just feel like North Texas is gonna—it's gonna click sooner or later. That's really the big story, regardless of who they've lost. Finding the offensive coordinator really just hadn't found their groove, and so you can't find it next Saturday night. So the Eagles hoping, um, you know, with two weeks to prep, uh, that they can still find North Texas trying to work in a new offense. Luke,
3: you've got some pretty significant travel coming up. How how long is your flight? As you make your way to uh, what Southeast Asia?
5: Yeah, headed to South Asia. I'll have a couple flights in the United States, uh, and then when I when I leave, it's about depending on what kind of wind we got. It could be as short as thirteen. It could be as long as 14 and a half
1: As short well, as thirteen. <laughs>
5: Well, but I mean, at least
3: you're sitting in first class in those those pods where they, you know lay flat with a bed, and you get a couple of meals, and you know they, they bring the warm towel for your head, and you get pillows and all that stuff, right?
5: I'm sorry, um, no, uh, I get the, uh, I get. Hey, buddy, your 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 movie screen may work, and you do get a couple meals. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm with uh, I'm just a normal guy, uh, so I don't I don't I don't know what it's like to live in first class, uh, Richard. I'm sure Haydad knows a little more about that. Borky, I think, was born into that lifestyle. Ripley oh. also, but, <laughs> but uh, yeah, just normal guys for me in the back. But you know, when you when you got that long of a flight, you kind of stay up, watch a couple movies, try to get on the uh, Eastern Hemisphere time zone, so that when you when you land, uh, you're you're trying to beat a little jet lag. It's pretty hard, though.
3: Do you know yet if you've got uh, middle seat or aisle seat or window?
5: Well. I I do have a few privileges. So I I got a little leg room. Most of the time, I go aisle, unless it's a long flight, and then I get window and and got a little leg room and just curl up and pass out.
3: There you go. Do you have trouble figuring out how to get comfortable? Like, there are times when I'm so tired when I get on a plane that I just kind of throw my head back and I'm out. But then there are other times where it's like I'm kind of trying to get to sleep, and it's like I can't find a spot where I'm comfortable.
5: Um, I just kind of stick my head, if I'm in the window, I kind of just stick my head on the window, load up on the pillows, and, I mean, you're going to wake up in in an hour and a half, two hours anyway. I usually get up, walk around, rub my legs, and then get back at it. So if you can get about three naps, uh, about an hour and a half, two hours each, I think that's about the best you can do on an international flight.
3: There you go. You're, you're kind of jealous of that, that random person that you look at and they go to sleep at takeoff and they wake up like seven hours later.
5: If they do that in economy, uh, more power to them because I don't see how anybody anybody does that at all. You know, it's an annual tradition, Richard, because you missed out on it last year. Uh, the killer bees and me hung out for the day before I went to Asia last year. You were at the lake or, at the lake or something. And uh, we started talking about snow leopards And people were asking me because I was in the Himalayas if I'd ever seen Yetis. And I mean, all three of those guys can can attest to it. It was one of the greatest afternoons on the ceasefire text line in the history of Sports Talk, Mississippi. We got, how many guys, how many Panther stories did we get that day?
4: At least 20. So when you figured out you can kill a, what, you can't kill a black Panther, you can kill as many brown Panthers as you want? That's what we were told, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Glad we got that cleared up. A lot of big cat talk that day. I mean,
3: you'll be in the general neighborhood of Everest. you thought about climbing it while you're there?
5: I will see the range, and uh, I will see the third highest peak in the world, um, which is only 900 feet shorter than Everest. Uh, and, but I, I did. I, last time I was in the Himalayas, I did kind of ask about yetis. The guy just kind of laughed at me, shook his head. But I have met a man that killed a snow leopard. And whether or not that was uh, wh- whether that took place or that it's il- that was illegal, I think the statute of limitations has run out on it because he was a really old guy.
3: So, what's the third highest mountain peak? Is that Kangchenjunga?
5: Kanchenjunga.
3: Yeah. Okay, I was close.
5: Kanchenjunga. Kind of on the, the Chinese, Nepal, India border, and you uh, but yeah, you, when, when you're flying there's an there's a in-country flight that I'll be taking, and you can just look to the left, and you can see the, the, the range that Everest is in. I mean, you're at 30,000 feet, and they're eye-level with you as you look out. It's pretty amazing.
3: There you go. Wow. Only uh, K2 and Mount Everest are taller than Kachinjunga. Well, Luke, we always appreciate your time. Hope you have a uh, safe trip, and look forward to talking to you when you get back, my friend.
5: Sounds good, guys. I'll bring you all something. See you later.
3: That'll be great. Bring me a mountain. I'd like one of those in my backyard. It doesn't have to be junga. I mean, it could be like uh, Makula or uh, Cho'oi. Those are a little smaller.
5: What about Mount Woodall? I'll bring that back for you.
3: Thanks, Luke. Luke Johnson, co-host of the Eagle Hour on Supertalk Hattiesburg and Supertalk Laurel. You want your daily Southern Miss fix, you can get that as uh, he and Bob bring it to you every day. It's always available online at supertalk.fm. A uh, lot of stuff coming from you on the Ceasefire text line. 601 879 4395. Jeff says, I thought Luke was overseas right now. Is this live? It is live, and he is not overseas. He is about to leave and make that uh, that trip. Um, we get some high school football games to look at. Had some games last night uh, across the state. Fall break for uh, quite a few schools. And so uh, if you had two teams that were going into fall break, they might have agreed to uh, play on Thursday night and get a little bit of a jump on the weekend. Did you guys have fall break growing up? I I no. Know. Know. Uh-uh. It was not a thing. I would have been on board with that.
2: Well, yeah. Who? Who? What student wouldn't be on board with getting days off?
1: Well, it was a choice, right? Because it- – you have fall break, but then your Thanksgiving shorter. So we had a full week of Thanksgiving, but no fall break. I think I would rather the full week oh, yeah. of Thanksgiving than the.
2: I didn't get the full week of Thanksgiving either. <laughs> I just got Thursday. Just Friday. went to school all the time. Hey, Dad. Yeah, I was Catholic, Smart guy. We, we keep it. Yeah, that's that's how that panned out, too. You're yeah, very smart.
3: Yeah. Do you want to plug St. Al now so we don't have to with uh, Will and No, Stephen? no,
2: we'll get to their matchup with Silliman Institute as soon as uh, Will and uh, Stephen get on the show. How do you feel about that one? Man, they had a big win last week, taking down Capaya Academy. Big win. That was that's very. What's exciting. the uh, what's the line on this game tonight? Uh, I'm, get, I'm getting I'm getting Saint Al at six and a half. Getting or giving up? Uh, they're they're giving the they're uh, they're giving the points. Road game? This one? Sure. I don't know. I don't. Yeah, it's a road game. Yes.
1: You think okay. they'll ever put high school football on the books? I mean, they do the Little League World Series. <laughs> God,
2: that'd be way too easy for people to get to.
1: But this Little League World Series is up there.
3: I think that's a, uh, a really bad idea. Bad idea, I agree. Yeah. But Tours Talk Mississippi with, uh, with you on this uh, this Friday afternoon. Jump into the high school world when we come back with Will East and Stephen Gagliano. That's when we continue in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Friday night during the high school football season. What's up, boys? I'm ready for high school football. Is kind of a break. Yeah, yes. <laughs>
6: absolutely.
3: Uh, I concur. <laughs> I concur. Let's just
6: get St. Al and Silva. Silliman. What? Sylvan? Silliman Institute. I'm glad you guys said it so I couldn't get the pronunciation wrong. I was worried about that. I think that's that. how you pronounce it. I, you're, you're, you're not, I'm not 100%. All right, we'll, we'll go with that. Uh, a big win for the Flashes uh, last week, 35-7. So they're three and three, two and zero in the district. So we're in the region. So I think district play when it matters. Right? They're they're turning around at the right time. So a chance for a big win tonight, and uh, I think they're going to get it. Boom! I'm I'm basing that on a lot of stats and a lot of trends. So I think a big win tonight. The analytics—that's what the numbers give you. Right? That's where they're going. S and P plus and all
5: that.
3: (laughs) Well, so I only know this because of where I live. I know that Oxford and Lewisburg, which is a DeSoto County school, uh, both in 6A, have fall break, and so they moved their game up to Thursday night. Did we have a lot of that last night? No, we. I, I
0: only know of two or three other games that okay. were going on. Uh, there were,
6: yeah. There, I think yeah, I've got scores from one, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, it was more than I thought. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah I don't one think Jackson, that was planned. right with
2: Provine and Callaway?
6: Yeah, Provine uh, won that one 26-23. So Provine's seven and zero on the season. There you go. What
3: um, What do we need to be looking for tonight?
0: Well, I think the game of the night is, is Petal and Oak Grove. I mean, it's, it, you know, rivalries have a couple of reasons why they're born. You know, maybe they've been playing for centuries, or maybe they're in the same division, so they just play each other year in, year out, and it becomes a rivalry. Or maybe they've played in big games in the past, and that kind of created the rivalry. Or maybe it's a location thing. You know, they're just close to each other. Uh Petal and Oak Grove, they tick all those boxes. They're about 15 miles apart. You think about it, in, in Mississippi, some schools travel as far, far away as two hours to play their nearest regional foe. Uh, they've played in big games. Both teams have been in the state championship game the past couple of years. Uh, they're in the same region, uh, and they've been playing forever. So this game is just, over the years, has become one of those classic Mississippi high school football rivalries. Oh, and by the way, it's got a revenge factor going in there because Oak Grove – Beat Pedal twice last year. This season, Oak Grove's the one behind the eight ball. They lost last week to George County uh, team. We'll get into in just a second. Uh, and then they they lost a, a, a non-regional game before that. And they're kind of trying to they're trying to they're struggling just a little bit. Pedal on the on the other hand, they win a game they weren't supposed to win last week. They beat Pearl. In overtime, a game where, you know, mm-hmm. everybody had uh, Pearl's going to win That's no problem whatsoever. Well, at the end of the day, Pedal comes out with the win. Uh, and now they're sitting pretty. So this is kind of, I don't want to say must win for Oak Grove, but they need to get on the ball now because they're not only one game behind in the region. If they lose tonight, they're looking up at Brandon and George County and Pedal, who are all, you know, sitting undefeated uh, in regional play.
3: Big deal. And this is week seven overall. George
6: County at Brandon? Yeah, that's uh, that's my game of the night, the one that I've got circled, mainly because of the recruiting factor in it. You've got quarterback Will Rogers for Brandon, who's headed to Mississippi State. But then on the other side for George County, you've got McKinley Jackson, at defensive tackle, who's the state's top recruit, who's undecided right now. So I'm looking forward to the battle between Will Rogers and McKinley Jackson, and we'll see if he can break through the line and sack Will Rogers a few times tonight.
3: A little bit of a... uh, Not a little bit. Rippy, feel free to weigh in. A lot bit of a rivalry game in the MAIS. Jackson Prep at Jackson Academy tonight?
6: That's right. And uh, after... Jackson Prep's opening week loss. They're now 5-1. and one. Uh, Jackson Academy, 3-3. Three and three. But uh, the old cliche goes, throw that all out the window uh, for a rivalry game, I guess.
3: I, uh, I suppose. Look at smaller schools. Is there, uh, is there a matchup that, that stands out tonight?
0: Well, tonight you've got 4A, 3A, and 2A. They're starting their regional slate of games. And maybe the pound-for-pound oh, pound best matchup of the night is South Pike and McComb. Uh, it's so big, in fact, they've moved it to Southwest Community College and Summit. They're going to play it there instead of uh, at Macomb because it's going to be such a big crowd. And the reason why I say it's going to be so good is South Pike, get this. They have the best offense in the state right now. They've scored more points than anybody else in the state. 6A to 1A, you add them all up, South Pike has scored more than anybody. Even more than Picayune? Even more than Pickyune. Wow. On defense, they've allowed the fewest points Everywhere from six A to one A, they have allowed the fewest points in all the public schools. One team has both of those right now. The two most important stats probably. The most points allowed or the most points scored and the least points allowed. Well Macomb sitting at four and one, you know. They're 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 not really the home team in this one, but this is going to be the first big test for South Pike. They they did beat I think a uh, a 6A team earlier in the year, and they might have beaten a a, a 5A team as well. But I, th- I think this is going to be the toughest test for South Pike so far this season. Are they for real? Were these just you know kind of inflated numbers? So I think pound for pound, this might be the marquee matchup of the game of what the night. Or, have... Sorry, yeah,
3: of the night. Yes. <laughs> I'm with you. Um, What's the focus tonight when you guys uh, jump on at 6 o'clock for the preview show?
0: Uh, I'm going to just talk about kind of uh, how teams need to start – they they need to start making up some of these games that they've lost you know South Panola a team that was undefeated going into last week they lose a regional game if i think they play Clinton tonight yep. uh you've got some teams out there that you know traditionally they're already on cruise control right now and they're just coasting their way into the playoffs but now you look at the standings and a lot of those traditional powers they've got a loss here and there they've got to start going whoa what's going on here this isn't like years past and then On the other side of that coin, you've got teams that, you know, have just not been that great in years past. Now all of a sudden – they got a couple wins. They've got a couple wins in the region. Now they're starting to look pretty dang good. It's kind of this weird theme that we've had all year long of parity and surprise. Parity and surprise. Teams that are you know a lot more even out there than it has been in years past and teams that you just you haven't thought about in years past because they've been just kind of at the bottom of the the standings, they're starting to show some muscle out there.
3: Yeah. Certainly we're getting to that time of year where the stakes are really, really high, and the margin for error is getting a little bit smaller each week. And I feel like this... You were kind of touching on it, Will. I mean, I feel like this is a year where you've had a few more upsets. There are a lot of seasons where you go, okay, it's pretty clear who the best team is in the north half in 6A, and it's pretty clear who the best team is in the south half in 5A, or whatever division you're talking about and they just kind of coast through it till you get to the playoffs and then you get some good games. It just really hasn't been like that
0: for the most part this year. We've seen some upsets and some really good storylines. We we normally still have a bunch of undefeated teams out there. Uh last week going into last week we had four undefeated teams in 6A. Right now we have one. So you had three undefeated 6A teams lose last week. You know, in a normal year that's a huge story. This year it's just kind of par for course because just the, those powerhouse programs in you know 6A through 1A they have struggled uh you look at the smaller schools 1A uh, uh Hollandale Simmons they opened the season 0 and 2 they had not lost a regular season game since 2014 Jackson Prep and the the on the prep side of things they lost the opening game of the season uh, Starville has struggled uh South Panola they they're starting to kind of come back well they lose last week you know Madison Central's been the only team that has kind of uh, held their own throughout all this this uh, as far as traditional powers are concerned everybody else is just kind of struggling west point west point in 5a the three-time defending 5a state champs they lost to a 4a team uh, just a few weeks ago in in pretty convincing fashion so it's just kind of this weird year out there
3: makes it a lot of fun when it's yes it does all right guys thanks so much preview show uh, high school football preview show and we wrap things up six o'clock that'll carry you right into the pregame shows for uh, for whatever high school game you're listening to on your local Super Talk Mississippi station. It's all available online at supertalk.fm. And then starting at 10 o'clock tonight, after all the games wrap up, your most complete spot to listen for scores across the state of Mississippi, the Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance Company's high school scoreboard show. Houston Astros take game one in their division series with the Tampa Bay Rays. When it's 6-2, Justin Verlander was the winning pitcher in the game for the Astros. More coming up with you. We'll talk some old Miss and Vandy after this in the Renaissance Bank Studio.
0: A hold up. Keep a pump in
4: Don't run Back with you, sports song,
2: Mississippi.
3: Glad to have you along on this Friday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott, Rippy. Want to be part of the conversation. You can text us on the C text line. It's that time of the week where Michael Borky likes to ask questions.
1: Yeah, and so we'll start and stop with Old Miss and Vanderbilt since Mississippi State faces the ever-tough bye this weekend. Uh, They got a baseball
2: game. Who are they playing? Louisiana Lafayette. Ooh. I don't care. Brings back memories. <laughs> all right, all right, let's, let's continue with our little here. <laughs> you, hey, you kind of walked right into that one. We, couldn't we just all be friends for like one day? You're no. the one that did that, man. And I, I apologize for it. Like five years ago, let's move on. Let's, let's
3: let's open a new door. Oh no, 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 no! I wasn't even going down that. I don't wait. Is that the road you were going down, Rippy? Yes. Yes, that's oh, the I road thought... he
2: was going down.
3: I'm sorry. I thought he was just talking like general it's so results. Hard to be
2: nice to him, and this is how he is.
3: Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sorry, Borky. Carry on.
1: Oh, it's all right. This that was probably better than this. Ole Miss absolutely has to do what if they want to beat Vanderbilt tomorrow?
4: Make Riley Neal look like Riley Neal.
1: And how do you do that?
4: By not allowing him to set four career highs like the gentleman named Chase Garbers did from Cal. Um, that's probably the key for Ole Miss just general going forward when they play pedestrian quarterbacks. Kelly Bryant's probably a little bit different beast next week, but, you know, Kellen Mond does not look very good. There's some winnable games on their schedule if they are improving offensively like some people think, but they really don't stand a chance if they make, you know, if they if they let Riley Neal have the amount of success throwing the ball as Garbers did, or even the kid from Sealock. So if you can make the pedestrian quarterback look pedestrian, they'll have a chance because I don't think they can, I don't think Keyshawn Vaughn can beat them by himself. Ole Miss has been pretty good against the run. What was the question again?
3: <laughs> Ole Miss absolutely must tackle well in order to beat Vanderbilt tomorrow. And I suppose that that could kind of be tied into what Rippy's talking about. Um, but even when you allow guys to make catches down the field, or on swing passes, or on underneath routes. First couple of games of the year uh, against Memphis and against Arkansas, almost tackled well. They had very few missed tackles. That was not the case against Southeastern Louisiana, and certainly it was not the case um, against. Uh, excuse me. Certainly was not the case against Alabama last week. Uh, you're dealing with a different level of talent on the Vanderbilt roster than. Um, newsflash, you were last week with Alabama. So you gotta make tackles. I mean, guys catch the ball, wrap them up, get them to the ground, and don't allow eight-yard plays to turn into thirty-seven-yard plays. You do that, I think you probably got a chance because I think Ole Miss's offense is going to score something against Vanderbilt.
1: Fair enough. And then uh, before we get to the, get to the other one, do you think everything that's gone down last night and today is going to? create kind of a weird atmosphere at the game tomorrow? It's SEC football, right? People are going to turn that stuff off and care about the game, but do you think there's any kind of residual nonsense, maybe stuff people demonstrating in the Grove or whatever to make for kind of a weird day tomorrow?
4: Yes, but don't think it affects the players much. What will affect the players is presumably the very sparse crowd. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think there'll be some stuff going on on
3: campus probably leading up to the game. I don't know how widespread it will be. But I think once people get into the stadium, they're, for the most part, going to turn that stuff off and focus
4: on football.
1: As long as you don't roll the guy out there on the field and give him a microphone like they do at other places when they hire new people.
4: Um, That's true. I can't imagine affecting the team much. I know you weren't insinuating that, but Matt Luke's probably sitting there like, man, this has nothing on 2017.
3: You know who is going to be there tomorrow? Patrick Willis. Patrick Willis. Um, really nice reception last night honoring him. Uh, he's being inducted into the National Football Foundation College Football Hall of Fame in uh, in December. So he will be awarded his plaque on the field. I think he's the tenth Ole Miss player inducted into the uh, into the uh, College Football Hall of Fame. Langston Rogers has done. Langston Rogers has done a lot of really good things through the years for the Ole Miss athletics department. Uh, you know, the foremost historian on Ole Miss football in particular, but the job that he has done, getting Ole Miss players nominated and kind of through the process to be College Football Hall of Famers, I think is his most um, most glaring accomplishment. Uh, he he's just been really really good in uh in that and it was kind of neat to hear Patrick tell some stories last night uh you know kind of talk about his recruiting process he desperately wanted to go to Tennessee and uh, said when Tennessee told him that um they had a couple of other linebackers and they just weren't convinced that he was an SEC caliber player that it really hurt him and he was uh was riding back to Brewston Tennessee and had some Tears that welled up in his eyes, and uh, his dad looked over at him and said, "Look, he said you can't change that." He said, "Why don't you wipe those tears away and go play for a school that's going to give you the opportunity to go beat those guys?" And uh, he got to play against Tennessee, uh, I think, once in his career. Um, Matt Luke told the story. He said uh, he coached Patrick or was on the staff that, that coached Patrick at Ole Miss for, I guess, a couple of years. Or maybe it was a year, and then ultimately went to uh, Tennessee to be on David Cutcliffe's staff on the offensive side there. Arian Foster came up to him and said, uh, Coach, nice to meet you. Glad to have you here. I sure do wish you had brought that linebacker who had the club on his hand. Huh. <laughs> I, thought, <laughs> I thought that was a pretty good story uh, that uh, a guy as accomplished as Arian Foster said, man, we sure would like to have him on our team. It's um, so pretty, a uh, pretty, pretty neat good. story. All right. So... to find out if he's still got some eligibility. He was talking to Mike McIntyre when I walked in. It kind of was the reception was getting a little later, and I said, uh, "Patrick, I don't know if you know this or not, but I think Coach McIntyre, if uh, you feel up to it, will find a uniform for you tomorrow." <laughs> Patrick said, "No, have you seen how big those guys are? I don't want any part of that." <laughs> he is—he uh, slimmed down a little bit in his post-playing days. Oh, I'm sure. So. All right, Bort, what you got?
1: Oh, and then the the opposite. What can they not do
3: to win the game tomorrow? I'll kind of steal Rippy's theme from a second ago. They they can't allow Vanderbilt to consistently throw the ball down the field and have big pass plays and and broken plays that lead to uh, lead to scores, lead to offensive drives continuing. I mean, he pointed it out a second ago. I mean, Chase Garbers had a big game for Cal. Even if you go back to the Arkansas game, Arkansas threw for 300 yards against Ole Miss between the, the two quarterbacks, between Starkle and, uh, uh, and Hicks. And I just don't think you can do that. I don't think that's really the way Riley Neal is made, despite the numbers that he put up when he was at Ball State before uh, transferring to Vanderbilt. Uh, it certainly is not what he's done this year. And uh, I don't think Ole Miss can allow him to go out and throw for – 375 yards and expect
4: the results to be good. Mismanage the quarterback shuffling. I don't really know exactly what that entails, but at a certain point, whoever's moving the ball the best, you probably want to stick with them. I get, if it's Corral, that's every down Then you know, mixing in plumbing with the package, but it's vice versa, and it's plumbing, you probably just got to go with it. I don't really know how that's going to work out. I'm not insinuating anything, but I don't sacrifice offensive production for trying to get both guys' looks.
1: Yeah, I mean, so if, like, for example, if Corral starts and he goes the first three series and they don't move the ball and, and they don't score and then Plumley goes in and runs them right down the field, don't even mess with, the, mess with it anymore. Just ride him.
4: Yeah, because if they lose this game, you're talking about an entirely different conversation as far as the trajectory of the program. Or you could blame it on Glenn Boyce. You also got
3: vice versa, though. I mean, if you know, regardless of how you feel about John Rice Plumley, if Matt Corral goes out and plays well, and he's moving the team offensively and having some success through the air,
4: you, you got to ride. Yes, sir, ride that, right? Sure, but I think there's still a package to use his feet, even if Corral's playing well. Like that's probably Taysom the Hill. ideal scenario.
1: Yeah, he's playing regardless, right? Uh, no matter what capacity, he is coming into the game at some point to line up and just run the option a couple of times. Even if they, Matt Corral's having a l- game of his life,
4: yeah, I don't. I, I honestly, I was been surprised with the way this has kind of progressed throughout the week. As far as them, I, I mean, I knew they'd be tight-lipped, but the indecisiveness and the equal splitting of reps, I just, I don't know. I think either way, you're going to see both of them play. I guess is the best way I could describe it. But yes, even if Corral is playing, you're going playing well. You're going to get Plumlee some to utilize his feet. It's just too dynamic not to use in some capacity. So there you go.
3: What have they got to do? What can they not do? We will bring Mississippi State back into that conversation next week when Haydad will join us from good old Rocky Top. Right. You excited about that trip? Yeah, never been. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Friday afternoon, rolling into the weekend. We're glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydab, Brian Scott Rippey. A lot happening on the ceasefire text line, much of it related to Chancellor conversation from earlier. Um, Here's one that is absolutely in in favor of Glenn Boyce. He says, Hope what you all are talking about as far as what might go on. At Ole Miss tomorrow it doesn't have anything to do with Dr. Glenn Boyce. He was my principal in high school. and was an outstanding person. It's a shame some people want to act like fools over this. Uh, as we talked about in pretty great detail earlier, this is less about the, the the reaction that's happening. Is a lot less about Glenn Boyce per se, and more about the frustration uh, frustration and distrust. Uh, that people have in the process that the IHL went through to get to this point. Bork, I bet Ole Miss has watched film on the Saints and made notes of packages that included Drew Brees and Taysom Hill. Plumlee is even dangerous as a decoy. That's from Quinn.
1: Yeah, and don't watch like the Saints on Sunday and see the way they use Taysom Hill and make that connection. Since Breeze got hurt, they have cut down his usage dramatically. But in the middle of last season when they were really using him, he was coming in, it felt like almost every drive. It was really good. And sometimes it frustrated me because you have a Hall of Fame quarterback. What are you taking him out of the game for in the red zone? But it gave defenses something to think about. And quite frankly, even though Taysom Hill's more physical, Plumlee already is a better runner. He's faster. And it's it's undeniable. He's faster than Taysom Hill. So uh, a very similar role, although Hill's uh, going to be more physical. He's just a bigger guy and a tougher guy. But you can use him in that way if you want to, and it will work if that's what you decide to do. No, ro- Nothing wrong about it.
3: Billy in Ocean Springs talking about the what must Ole Miss do, what can't they do. He says no turnovers, playing good defense, strong offensive
4: play calling. Go ahead and throw more points in there as well.
3: (laughs) It's a
1: uh, big ask. It kind of feels like a culmination, doesn't it? Because with the exception of Arkansas, and as you mentioned, that wasn't exactly a complete game either. You had a really bad mistake from Corral pitching it to Cooley that led to a fumble and a score, so that wasn't a a complete game either. But they have done things at various points in the season with the young guys, basically – this incoming recruiting class, a bunch of freshmen, brokers playing a lot on the offensive line now, Ely's getting more touches uh, in the secondary, you're playing younger guys, stuff like that, where, especially with the way they played in Tuscaloosa, at least offensively, you could have a culmination of all those parts and they actually put together a complete offensive game.
3: Yeah. I tend to agree with you. I, I, it feels like and I know traditionally Vanderbilt has given Ole Miss all kinds of trouble and season or the series is even at five wins apiece in the last ten for each of those two teams, and that's not where you would like your record to be uh, against a team like Vanderbilt. But it kind of feels like the pieces are coming together. Rippy, we've talked some. You've mentioned it several times. Offensive line played better last week and seems to be getting a little bit better and a little more consistent. Does tomorrow have a feel for a quote unquote breakout game for
4: Ole Miss to you? Um uh, I mean maybe, but how do you break out against a perceived weaker opponent? Like Well, just play one of those games where you walk
3: away from it and go, you know what, played a complete game. I played think played well all the way around.
4: I think that's certainly possible, but again, with this team, the only things that are going to move the needle are Missouri and A&M, like opponents. Like, they could play as great as they want, and they could win this game 60 to nothing, and I'm not sure it's going to curry much favor. These are games they're supposed to win, and I think they would tell you that.
3: Yeah, Luke and Flood says the same thing. He says Ole Miss should beat Vandy. If you're Ole Miss, do your job and win. He's right. You you have better players than Vanderbilt, I think. Uh,
4: (laughs) I I mean Vanderbilt. He, does he have put. Some offense. I think at the end. Well, he has some offense. No, I know. I he has. Van, to his point, Vanderbilt has some offensive talent that maybe they haven't had in years past. As you kind of heard Adam Sparks say, but um,
1: does a lost Saturday end it for Derek Mason? Maybe not formally, officially, but if they lose tomorrow, is it over?
4: No, because I talked to Sparks about this on the on our podcast, uh, and there's some winnable games out there. I mean, he's made a bowl game. Adam Sparks from the Tennessee and not Larry Sparks, formerly the interim chancellor. That is correct, or any other Sparks you want to uh, – maybe it came in, popped into your mind. I'm talking about Adam Sparks of the Tennessee, and he is not the chancellor of Ole Miss. Um, but I guess he could try. I don't know what they paid him to conduct the search. Anyway, not the not the point. Not the point. Um but there's some winnable games on Vanderbilt's, left on Vanderbilt's schedule, like the ship. It becomes hard to see them going to a bull gantry, but they still got UNLV, South Carolina, Kentucky, East Tennessee, State, and Tennessee. They could still finish five and seven, and he'd probably be okay. But again, his job security is one of the more intriguing like things in the SEC to me because that's such a strange job.
3: Got a uh, text that said breakout against Vandy, LOL.
1: It wasn't. You know we didn't I use meant. breakout. It was culmination. Those are two different well, things. I,
3: I, I think I used the phrase breakout, but I didn't mean in the standpoint of, all right, this is the day they become an unbelievable team. So maybe a poor choice of words on my part. Culmination, complete game. I think that's kind of what you're looking for.
4: Sports
3: talk Mississippi with you. Rolling into the 5 o'clock hour, welcome to the weekend. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online. MSLandBank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs, Mississippi Land Bank can help. They've been financing and refinancing land for over 100 years told you earlier, we've got a pair of tickets to give away for the Ole Miss-Vanderbilt game, and if you are interested, listen up. Trivia question for you right here. It's not going to be a terribly difficult one. You should text on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395. The answer of this question Texas The Answer got a pair of tickets for you that you can pick up tomorrow in the Grove um, where we, uh, we do the pregame show on the radio in terms of passing yards and receiving yards give me the quarterback and the receiver that in the same game had the most yards passing and the most yards receiving in a single game for Ole Miss against Vanderbilt. Name of the quarterback and the wide receiver that threw for the most and caught for the most in a single game against Vanderbilt. Text it to the C Spire text line. First person to get the right answer, we will give you the ticket. 601-879-4395. It is time for the college football fix college football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers log on to buyfordnow.com find out why the best selling trucks are built Ford tough you can stop by your local Mississippi Ford dealer and test drive one today Forky if I remember last year I was pretty good on our picks you were great last year Like, I was kicking along at about 70% last year.
1: You ended up in the high 60s, if I remember correctly. Like, it was a gambler's dream.
3: This year, all four of us are below 50% for the year in our picks against the spread involving SEC teams. Rippy and Borky are tied at 48% for the year. I come in... Third at forty six point eight percent, and hey dad, you're terrible. That's why I don't gamble. Thirty eight percent, hey
2: dad. That's less than that, four out of ten correct. Quick yes, it's, it's a, there, it would be thirty eight out of a hundred. Uh, yeah, That yeah, yeah, with your head, you. not over it, kids. I'm, For the uh, record,
1: I'm 63.5% on NFL picks this year. Just
2: saying. This is why nobody's going out of their way to give me a gambling podcast, even though I know nothing about gambling. There you go. All right. So let's make
3: our picks. Our picks are brought to you by Pearl River Resort, the Golden Moon Casino in Philadelphia. Stop by the Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge next time you are in the area. But uh, it's not just the sports book. You've got great gaming. You've got fantastic golf. Two golf courses there at uh, Dancing Rabbits. uh, Sorry, Dancing Rabbit. Uh, You got uh, great dining option, including uh, options including Philip M's. Got the water park, live music, a lot of concerts that are uh, coming through. Just a lot of good stuff going on at the Pearl River Resort. So whether it's a a couple's getaway, just you and your special someone. Maybe it's a guy's trip. Maybe it's a lady's trip to get away and hit the spa and hang out. Uh, whatever it is, you should um, absolutely, absolutely check it out. Let's make some picks. Utah State at LSU. LSU is a 26 and a half point favorite. Borky, lead us off.
1: Utah State scores at an impressive clip. Under two minutes per per scoring drive, but at the same time, it's a different animal with LSU, and those quick possessions lead to a big score differential, so I will take LSU in the points, although it might kind of be funky early because Utah State's really explosive.
2: Okay. Hey, Dad? Yeah, I mean, you said Utah State scores at an impressive clip. So does LSU against good teams. So give me the Tigers, and I'll give the points.
3: Okay. Rippy?
4: Auburn, Florida? No. LSU, Utah State? Uh, Wrong Tigers. I'll go LSU. See, this is where I get into
3: a bind, because it's like, okay, if all of us have gone the same direction, it feels like it makes sense to go the other way. We didn't see LSU for a a week. Uh, 11 a.m. start? I'll lay the 26-and-a-half, or I will take the 26-and-a-half and and go with Utah State. Fair. Okay. Keep us moving, Borky. Auburn, two-and-a-half point
1: favorites as of this morning in Gainesville. That
3: number's gotten smaller, hasn't it? believe so. I I actually like Auburn, minus the uh, two-and-a-half. I just think they're a better football team. And it's going to be a great atmosphere. Florida's wearing some special uh, uniforms uh, tomorrow, some throwback uniforms. But whatever, uh, I will uh, I will take Auburn. And lay the two and a half. Anybody else?
1: I tend to agree. Uh, I mean, Auburn is now five, and it's it's a long way out. But Auburn's five and zero oh in their last five games against the spread against Florida. For whatever that may be worth to you, but I'm with you. Better football team. It'll be an ugly game sloppy game but Auburn might be for real and I think we might learn that on Saturday
3: alrighty Um, so Borky's on the Auburn
2: train what about you Rippy? Auburn hey dad this could be the last stop for me on the not Auburn train we'll see what happens but I say wrong team favorite I'm going to take the Gators
3: well okay well you know whatever works for you uh, Troy is getting 24-and-a-half at Missouri tomorrow.
4: Rippy, lead us off here. I know nothing about Troy, Missouri. Okay. They all, you know, limited
3: knowledge for me on Troy. I do know that they scored a bunch of points in their game against uh, against Southern Miss. I tend to think, though, Missouri at home probably makes sense. I'll, uh, I'll lay that big number... Uh, A little begrudgingly, and uh, take Missouri. Troy can score the football a little
1: bit. And I mean, they're only two and two, but their losses are when they scored 42 points against Southern Miss and 43 against Arkansas State. They can score. I'm going to take the points just because of that fact, although I'll probably end
2: up being wrong.
1: Didn't the
2: coach at uh, Troy chip Lindsey? Yes. Yeah, man, that's a guy who he knows how to score. I'll take I'll take Troy and uh I'll take the points. So hey Dad
3: and Forky are on the Troy Trojan train. Um Georgia is a 24 and a half point favorite at
2: Tennessee. Haydad, we're going to go with the Bulldogs. Uh are back-to-back beatings for the Volunteers from Bulldogs are I feel are coming. Uh, this one okay. will be much worse though. Uh, Georgia and I'll give the points. Borky, I'm
1: going to go with Georgia and uh, I want to see Neyland Stadium checkerboarded in black and red.
3: <laughs> I don't know if they'll have enough there to actually pull that off or not. We'll see. Uh, Rippy. Georgia. All right, I'm Lone Wolf on this one as well. I uh, I don't know why. Just a weird gut. Maybe last stand for Tennessee. We'll see. I think they certainly lose the game, uh, but I can see this one like 35-14. I'll take, uh, I'll take the 24-and-a-half uh, for Tennessee at home. And then the last one, Vanderbilt, uh, plus seven at Ole Miss. So tomorrow night Ole Miss the favorite at home, laying the seven points. Um, I'll take Ole Miss in this one. I think Ole Miss wins it by double digits.
4: Rippy. Yeah, I'll actually go Ole Miss this week as well. I think they're probably better than Vanderbilt. Um, if they can figure out the quarterback thing, I think they'll win by seven. Hey, Dad, where are you on, on this one?
2: Ole Miss is having a bad weekend. It's going to get worse. Vanderbilt, and I'll, t- I'll take the points. Are you win. like wrong team favored? Vanderbilt's going to win? I hey, think Vandy's going to win this one. I took Vandy on the podcast on uh, on Tuesday. What's the rationale? Uh, what's the rationale? Curious. I mean, I just don't think either one of these teams is very good, and I I just am gonna take Vanderbilt. They've had a little success over Ole Miss the past couple of years. I'm gonna go with the Commodores. Borky,
1: uh, Plumlee Corral. I don't think it matters. I think Ole Miss will win this game and do it rather comfortably. Beginning of the end for Derek Mason.
3: So we got Hey Dad as the Lone Ranger taking Vanderbilt plus the seven. I'm all by myself on Tennessee plus 24 and a half. Uh, all by myself on Utah State plus 26 and a half. And Hey Dad is all by himself uh, with Florida plus two and a half as well. Those are your picks brought to you by the Pearl River Resort Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge.
0: This is Sports Talk. Is sports Talk, Mississippi. I say, sports fans.
1: Now here's more on Super Talk Mississippi.
3: All right, Rippy, what band is this?
4: Bucket. Alabama.
3: <laughs> uh, sports Talk <laughs> Mississippi <laughs> with you came on came this Friday day. afternoon. Hey Dad, let's talk some Bulldogs for a second. No football really to talk about right now. Yeah. But yesterday, basketball media day, you hung around, saw practice, talked to some players, talked to Ben Howland, and then today was a, a baseball day as well. So let's kind of take yeah. those one at a time. Let's go to basketball yesterday. Uh overarching storylines, stuff that stood out to you.
2: What you got? Well, first it wasn't media day. This was just a we were just supposed to meet with Howland and uh he he's he was kind enough to say, hey guys, if you want to hang around watch practice, talk to players after, you can. We still have another day coming up, but we'll get to talk to all the players. Uh, Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the the big issue first, Nick Weatherspoon. Uh, Finally, real, live confirmation. He will miss the first ten games of the season. I don't believe there's an option to pick and choose games. There's not going to be a situation where State goes to that tournament out in Myrtle Beach, wins the first game, and is playing Villanova that they can just bring Nick off the bench. He's not going to play until uh, the game down in Jackson against New Mexico State. So, He's out. Tyson Carter will slide over to the one, uh, and DJ Stewart likely to start at the two. Who's a redshirt freshman, uh, a guy they thought about taking the redshirt off late in the year last year, but you know when Nick was out, but decided to keep that on them. So he's got he still got his four years. Uh, true freshman Iverson Molinar will back up Tyson at the point guard. So a chance for him to get a lot Where's of valuable minutes. Where's he from? How about that name, uh, he's a, California. Okay, great name, right? Iverson Molinar. Yeah, Iverson is his first name. What a great name for a point guard. Uh, and he was at practice. We weren't just talking about it. He was actually there. Uh, and then and uh, the front court, obviously, Reggie Perry is, is going to be the, the guy everybody's got their eyes on. Got first chance to talk to him since uh, the summer when he was out with uh, Team USA, uh, winning the MVP honors at that under-19 tournament where the U.S. won the uh, the gold medal. Um, he you know, has looked to expand his range watching him in practice yesterday. He was taking some mid-range jumpers, taking some three-point shots, he said, talking to the NBA scouts. They want him up around 35% this year. But, of course, you know, I, I don't, I'm sure Ben Howland would say he don't want that to come at, at the expense of being down low and working the low block. Uh, he said he wants Reggie Perry to be a, a double-double guy this year, average a double-double. He says he thinks he can do it. There's no reason for him not to. Um, it, it, the same questions exist, so it's, it's all about don't, don't you Virginia agree? State. I mean, I, I hear Ben Howland well, he say, do yeah, I want him to do this,
3: and I think he can. I, I, I tend to think that that is altogether possible.
2: That's a re- very reachable goal for Reggie Perry. Um, and talking to him afterwards, you know, he he he's in good shape. He feels good. He, th- he thinks that experience re- playing with those those guys, you know, helped elevate his own game. So he got to take a lot from them. Going to the NBA Combine, got to take some stuff from that. So he's hoping to add that to to what he uh, to a really impressive freshman year. So if he can do that, that's a good thing for Mississippi State. Yeah,
3: and and on the double double thing, I mean, I wouldn't anticipate he averages seventeen and thirteen, right? But to see him
2: at 12 and 10 and a half? I don't think that would be surprising. I would I would put him more on the points, but the, the 10 and a half is about right. But I think he could average 15, 16, maybe even 17 points a game. He's, he. The offense is going to that's run through him. That's just a lot of scoring. The offense, that's from Ben Halland. The offense will run through Reggie Perry. Okay. And and that, Which is interesting, though. You said a lot of scoring. Talking to Tyson Carter yesterday, he said that last year that, that was a very offensive-minded basketball team. And defensively, they had some lapses. He thinks this year's team will be a much tougher team defensively, and they've got to find a way to you know get 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 points because you know you lost your leading scorer, you lost you know Lamar Peters and Eric Holman, of course, like I said, the leading scorer, Q. Weatherspoon. So it's a lot of points to, to make up. They got to find those, but they think yeah. defensively they can be good. And, and I would ask, you know,
3: kind of, in, I hear what you're saying about okay, offense is going to run through Reggie Perry, mm-hmm. but when you're in that. Clocks winding down need a bucket. You need you need that to be a guard more times than not. Yeah. So that's one of the things that Q Weatherspoon was so good. Yeah, contort his body, gets to the right one way or the other, throws it up off the window, gets it to
2: fall, and one. Who's that guy? It's his brother. It's gonna be Nick when, when he gets back into the lineup. Uh, working as the point guard, not a very traditional point guard. Sort of like uh, if you can remember he's back been to Jamal kind of Gordon, scorer, though, has he? he? He he's more of a driver than a shooter. I would say that. But his shooting percentage was up last year when he when he got suspended. He can he can do a little bit of both. He can be that combo sure. guy, and uh, but just from a, in terms of physical strength and being able to get to the bucket, I think it's more you know Q was sort of very fluid, like you meant he could contort his body. Nick can just get to the bucket. He can just drive and, and be aggressive, and he's got the strength to do that. So, like I said, he's not a very, very traditional point guard by any stretch of the imagination, but he's he can be effective. Uh, he can shoot the ball. He can drive, and then you know he's going to have some options out there on the wing with Carter when he's at the two. Robert Woodard, who I think is sort of like the X factor for this team. He, if he takes a big jump, and I think he he's got a big, I think he's got a very high ceiling. Uh, if he's really good, this this he this team can be really really good. Yeah. He certainly looks the part. Does he look any different than he did a year ago? I don't know how he it's, could look it's, a whole lot different. It's, it's funny you mentioned that. Howland just went on this rant about him. Uh, he, he looks like a Greek god. I've never had a player this ripped in 37 years of coaching. He said, you know, he was just like, you, you should see this guy. And now we were like, okay, he's built great, and it was yeah. just funny. I don't. I, one of the maybe you had to be there kind of thing, but he said that Woodard's in, in supreme physical condition. Yeah, supreme physical condition you like that yeah
1: yeah um iverson molinar according to the website is originally from panama city panama
3: oh there you go and then did prep
1: school in california
3: do you ask if there's an exhibition game on the schedule we don't know about there there are
2: two exhibition games on the schedule they will play tcu uh at the smoothie king center uh, which will be pretty cool and good experience for the guys to play in an nba arena and then there will be a game. I think this game is going to be at the hump against South Alabama and uh proceeds from that game will go to benefit the farmers here in Mississippi who uh, suffered through all that the really bad rain we had all spring. Mm-hmm. A lot of crops all spring. Yeah, that will that money will go to benefit them. That's cool. Yeah,
3: I thought so too, yeah. Nice uh, really nice gesture. Uh, so that, so their front. exhibition
2: games are against actual power, you know, Programs or D1 programs, or they don't have a, uh, you know, division three team or anything like that coming in, which they, they have in the past. That they, Those will suffice for exhibition games. Um, if you missed it on the podcast, Hey Dad had a, uh, he
3: and Joel Coleman had a long conversation with uh, Jake Mangum that was on Thursday. Yeah, uh, it's about an hour and a half, hour, something like that. Did you listen? And listen. Uh, I got through almost all of it. I think you had finished talking to Jake, and I tuned you and Joel out at the end. I appreciate that. I don't mean it in a bad way, but no, I was uh, mowing the grass <laughs> nah. yesterday, and uh, and cool, I listened yeah. to the majority of it. Good, yeah. I thought um, I thought Jake was. i mean, he had a lot to say. He had a lot. To say. He did, uh, and some interesting perspective that was uh, was there. Um, so, using that kind of as a bridge, if you missed it, you can go back and and check it out online or uh, download the Thunder and Lightning podcast. Get Rippy's podcast as well, the Rebel Report, the Michael Borky Show, and uh, of course, you got Borky uh, and, uh, coming up with you on Sunday morning for uh Sports Sunday
2: here on Super Talk r- Mississippi with Stephen Gaggle. I want to th- thank all of the listeners of the Thunder Lightning podcast. We went over 1 million listens since I I can join Super Talk back in August of uh 2018. So thanks guys. I really really appreciate it. It's
1: crazy because there are so many very smart media people that want to say that move, you know working for Super Talk's a bad thing. But huh, that doesn't make any sense, does it? Well, 1 million listens. I I'll yeah, about a lot. Out of that. Yeah, that, that seems like a lot of people, you know? Yeah. But, you know, Super Talk's bad and evil. So, can't believe that Um
3: worked. All right, so on the baseball front, a uh, chance to talk with uh, Chris Limonis today, yeah. spend some time around there.
2: Mm-hmm. What's the story? Uh, healthy. You know, the team is as healthy as you can want it to be at this point. You know, got to get these, uh, they're playing two – it's 14 innings of baseball. They're going to basically split it into two seven-inning games tomorrow against Louisiana Lafayette. And that's free admission if you're in Starkville this weekend and you want to watch some MSU baseball. You that JT Ginn not likely to pitch. I think they said Christian McLeod is going to get the start uh, in, in this game, and they'll sort of take it from there. Uh, we talked to Ginn, He said he's you know he's he's feeling fine. They're just you know being careful with him, and that's to be expected. Um, and then you a lot of young guys will will get reps in this. The guy names that keep coming up. Oh gosh, uh, Logan Tanner's name has, has been brought up a few times. Brandon Pimental, who's a JUCO transfer, they expect to. Challenge it at first base is a guy you'll you'll see this weekend, and of course all the regular guys Rowdy Jordan Tanner Allen you know there's still a good nucleus of guys back here. Uh, I think it's more about replacing leadership than production. Than, than for, in, in my opinion, you know who's going to step up to make that big play now that Jake Mangum or Elijah McNamee are gone. youth got to talk to him a few weeks ago. I don't know how much of a jump he can take because you're talking about a second baseman that hit almost 20 home runs last year. I mean, is he going to hit 400 with 25 home runs? That seems unlikely. But if he can just match <laughs> last year's production, he'll be really good. Westberg, Westberg had a, a good summer out in the summer league and, and and tweaked some things with his swing. I mean, he was red hot to start the season last year. He really cooled off, but he feels like he's got a lot more consistency at the plate now. And Tanner Allen, uh, he's just Tanner Allen. Yeah, I think he's going to do well. Jake Mangum had predicted him to lead the team in hitting. Uh, on on that podcast we were talking about.
3: Congratulations to Richard Reed from Grenada, who has won the Ole Miss Vanderbilt tickets courtesy of Mississippi Land Bank. I had a bunch of responses on the uh, trivia question. The answer, most passing yards and most receiving yards in a single game for Ole Miss against Vanderbilt. I kind of tried to play a trick on you. It was just last year. Jordan Tamu, 35 of 52, 457 yards, AJ Brown nine catches 212 yards and a touchdown in the ball game. Richard Reed from Grenada was the winner. Richard, I will uh, text you in just a minute tell you how you can pick up your tickets. courtesy of Mississippi Land Bank where they know the lay of the land.
2: A super talk Mississippi ah! media production.